All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Serious Angler Podcast, powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. We are back with the captain, Mr. Andy Full, and as always, I'm your host, Bailey Egbrett. And uh, Andy, another day here in the fall. Uh, <laughs> people that didn't or see winter. Time, or winter. Um, I it don't feels know. like winter. It's, te- it's technically not winter until what the twenty. 20- first 21st yeah i think that's correct something like that i never fouled that as a kid when people talk yeah, about when it snows it's winter yeah like, it feels like winter feels like winter you know yeah uh for folks that uh i've seen the last couple episodes we had some like hiccups with intro i totally just pulled another shenanigan uh here for people that didn't see first show, 450 or so in yeah, yeah, rookie status. Uh, thankfully, StreamYard, the service we use now, has a restart button, which is a great feature, so I don't have to go through and edit all this crap again. But it uh, looked great. Our, our guest, Mr. Emil Wagner, got to laugh at me a little bit here uh, watching a uh, supposed, you know, should be a pro at podcasting at this point, still uh, still suck at it. Eh, everybody yeah. makes mistakes. <laughs> it's fine. I make we don't, them really. Multiple we, we don't claim to be top-notch. All right, you, you get what you get. <laughs> <laughs> we're just there. We're here to talk fishing and have a good time. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, and so an update. So I, I think we're good to go. According to Spectrum, to give people the last update, hopefully we'll ever need on this whole internet thing. It's Spectrum. Spe- I, don't yeah. trust- <laughs> I, I don't trust their word. Well, at the end of the day, they did say, I got a notification that the, the, so the problem has been resolved. They spent a good three hours uh, here on our street fixing stuff uh, yesterday, and I still got my Ethernet cord connected. The hundred foot one I told everybody. I will say your um your picture's a little bit clearer than it's been. So here's to hoping that might be a bad thing, honestly, because people can more clearly see my ugly mug. Yeah, my computer screen's breaking as we talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Expense me your uh, broken computers. My bad. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, dude, we got a fun episode today. A guy that uh, I actually was introduced to at the cl- uh, not classic at iCast. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it, I think it was Matt was it Matt Johnson that introduced. We can figure it out. Maybe Emil, uh, Emil remembers, but it was at the Blackfish booth. Mm-hmm. Um, at uh, I got to meet him for the first time, and finally we're getting him uh, on the show here. Uh, so we're gonna bring him on here in a second. But uh, quick before we do, I don't know if people saw the news. I'll uh, share my screen here real fast. But uh, One Bass has announced that they are going to be working a little bit closer with the uh, with Bass Nation awesome. coming up here in 2024, which uh, I think it's a, it's a step closer in the right direction to making the people in the West happy, which is, I think, what all of us want to see. I don't think it was ever something like Bassmaster didn't want to see. It. It's just uh, when you're a business, you got to do what's best for for biz. And I think this is at least a nice step in the right direction to get some more people, more Western representation. But uh, you can see here, I won't read it too verbatim because uh, I'm sure a lot of people saw it either on social. But essentially, top five anglers in each of the four regional, uh, the pro and the AAA events, uh, as well as the top five anglers in the one Bass Angler of the Year standings uh, will receive bursts to the 2025 Bass Nation Championship. Uh, and then from there, obviously, those three anglers earn a berth to the 2026 Classic. So, at least some more representation. Now, yeah, anyway. that's awesome. And hopefully, we'll see that grow. And you know, I know what we're, we've talked a bunch on the episode of, well, on the show anyway, of you know the year when COVID hit, they were supposed to go west, uh, and hopefully someday we'll get back to 
seeing those guys go up. And it's and nowadays it sucks for like a guy like I think when you you tell any guy, hey, you're gonna go drive all the way out to California with the current gas and economy the way it is, guys kind of <laughs> I'm sure dread that. Uh, but I I could see from a fan perspective. I mean, me personally, I love to see some more places out west from a pro perspective. But um, at the end of the day, it's cool. It's a nice step in the right direction, and hopefully, uh, more good things on the horizon here for uh, tournament fishing. Um, but beyond that, Andy, you had a busy day uh, in regards to your chefing up some uh, some do it stuff. Not even for bass, but for steelhead. I was making some poof balls for steelhead and. Basically what it was, I had a bunch of jig heads just laying around that I bought a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh, I have all this awesome ProTech powder paint that you can get right on the Do It Molds website. And I sat at my computer screen with a Bic lighter, lit the jig, um, unpainted jig head up, dipped it in. And if you get it heated long enough, you can get uh, just a nice powder coated jig head to tie your little poof balls with. So that's what I did for a little bit. And then I had like a little stomach issue happen. So yeah, I had to stop what I was doing, but we're good now. <laughs> well, if Andy runs out of here, <laughs> you guys you know, know I know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not feeling the greatest, but we're here. So yeah. Well, we're here and uh, we might as well stop rambling uh, and get our guest on for today. So without further ado, let's bring him on here. Mr. Emil Wagner. What's going on, man? What's going on, guys? Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was I good like that. You. I like that little intro. That was pretty sweet. You dig that? The first like the first like ten seconds when it comes on, that's pretty badass. You're like, yeah, this is pretty sick. And I'm like, damn, I gotta listen to these two ugly mugs talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <right>. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The the sad part is, is it might be the uh, the last month that we have that intro because we try to change it up year after year. So we're uh, in the midst of oh, uh, creating a new one for next year. But I mean, you might be swaying me back to keeping at least the first couple seconds of that for, for next year. Yeah, I like it. Got me fired up. Yeah, right. It gets the show started, and then you're quickly upset by these two jabronis thinking they know fish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but dude, uh, like I was saying in the intro. It was good to meet you down at ICAST uh, at the Blackfish booth. I'm still trying to remember for the life of me who introduced us. I don't know if it was yeah. Sobe or if it was Matt or whomever. I think it was uh, I think it was Alex Redwine, actually. Oh, that's right, because Redwine was there. Jonathan Kelly I don't know. He, he introduced me to one of his guys there, and then I was talking to him, and then it may have been through him, which was, I think, the first guy you mentioned. But, yeah, Alex had dragged me over there, and I was just hanging out, talking and whatever. And then I I don't know if we followed each other already, but I knew who you were before that. But, yeah, that was when we, like, talked in person and whatnot. Yeah, we saw you taking a bunch of people's money over on the MLF side. So it was good to finally meet you yeah. in person at the Blackfish booth. Uh, yeah, but, uh, that was a good time. That was my first iCast. It was, it was fun. What did you think of it? Not to go down a whole iCast rabbit hole because people – No, like, yeah, it was – um. It was honestly about what I expected, just talking for 10 hours straight and just, you know, like, I don't, it's, I didn't want to be there any longer. <laughs> yeah, trying to find the boost that had some padding to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it was honestly pretty exhausting, but it was, it was good. I'm, I'm really happy I went because I got to, there was a bunch of people like you who like I knew about who I hadn't like actually talked to or like met in person. So I was happy I went. Yeah, my, my mind loves it because, uh, you know, up here in New York, there's not a lot of people from the industry 
Whereas yeah. like down near your sort of neck of the woods, Alabama, you know, central, there's obviously there's a lot of folks, but that's like my time to go see everybody that I talk to all the time over social media. So it's a, it's a great right. place or a great time, uh, time of year to go see everybody and hang out and uh, do things you can't do uh, too much throughout the year. But at the end of the week, your body's just like, I need to just sleep all day long. <laughs> yeah. I wanted and to go geez. fish at the end of it. I got tired of talking about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's ditch this joint and go fish. Uh, yeah, for but, real. But man, so first time we're getting you on the show. And uh, Andy, it's been a little while here since we've had somebody new on the show. Yeah. And uh, we're, we keep, uh, we've been trying for over 400 episodes now to keep tradition in that of everybody that's new, we want to know how the heck you even got to where you're at now. Like, how did you, how did you start? And, you know, obviously in talking to people and obviously keeping up with you from a tournament standpoint, uh, you weren't born in the States. So I'm curious how you came to uh, know and love this species of bass that we all uh, have a passion for. But uh, yeah, talk to us a little bit about where you were born and kind of the road to yeah. learning and get growing a passion for bass fishing. Yeah. So as far as how I actually got interested in fishing, that's a question I don't even know the answer to, to be honest, but I, uh, I was born in Denmark, I two older siblings. We were both, all three of us were born there. Both my parents grew up there, born there. My entire family lives there. And we moved over here when I was a year old for my dad's job. And we're only supposed to be here like two, three, four years and then moved back. I don't know if it was because they ended up liking it or his job required him to stay, but we ended up just staying and uh, never moved back. We would go back, you know, once a year to see family and whatnot, but grew up here, lived in pretty much in Marietta, Georgia, my entire life, just outside of Atlanta. And dude, I've, I've been fishing literally since I could walk. Like, but like my dad doesn't fish. Nobody in my family fishes. Like I just expressed an interest in it when I was little, I guess. And like my dad's done it before, but he doesn't actually fish. You know what I mean? So he like, you know, like let me get a rod or reel, whatever. And I guess my earliest memories of it were that neighborhood I grew up in most of my childhood. We just, I'd walk down to our neighborhood pond every day. And I remember this one big bass. Like, I think I caught it like six times on a live bluegill. Like I'd catch the bluegill and drop them under this one dock and then catch bass. And then from there in middle school, I remember my buddy William, who I fished high school tournaments with, we started fishing out of his canoe and just pond hopping, like, you know, Google earth, finding every pond within an hour radius. And we'd just go fish every chance we got. And then that's what it's all about. Yeah, dude, was, like I honestly missed that. And then eighth grade, I remember we figured out tournament fishing was a thing. And that was right when high school tournament fishing was like kind of starting to take off. Like it wasn't like big yet by any means, but I'd been gaining a little traction. And going into ninth grade, I was like, well, we need a bass boat. And of course, my dad was like, I'm not buying you a boat. So <laughs> he was like, he's like, I tell you what, I'll match any dollar you can put into a boat. So I had like, what was it? I paid nine two for that old Skeeter I had. So what I had like 4,600, but I had like a leaf raking business, all sorts of, you know, typical little kid stuff. Yeah. And I remember he had it listed for like 12 or 13. And he, he's actually, I talk to him almost every week now. His name is Byron Kenny. He's a really good fisherman, but he, uh, I texted him. I was like, dude, I've got 9,200 bucks. If you'll give it to me, I'll take it. And, uh, he gave it to us, gave us a really good deal on it. And we started, right off the rip in high school fishing tournaments. And I remember our first one, 
was on Lake Seminole. So that's in ninth grade. You got to understand not my dad bass fishes. William's dad doesn't bass fish. Neither, like, they don't know anything about it, let alone driving a bass boat or being on Seminole. So yeah. our high school had like a really strict attendance policy. So we didn't get to practice. And it was our first high school tournament. So we drove all the way down there. We're, you know, tournaments out of big gyms. There was like 23 boats in it, not many. And we're like five hours from the house. And we go and we, have you ever been to Seminole? I have never been on it. I've been. Okay. I've so you up. come out of big, you, you launch in big gyms. And again, we haven't practiced for this tournament. We just showed up yeah. and it's like this little pond, like this little clear pond with no stumps in it or anything. And then at like the end of the pond, there's like a channel where all the boats go out of, and then it opens up into the lake and they sent us out of there. And I mean, you just go out into this straight stump field and the, the boat lanes are maybe two boats wide. And we just all look at each other like, what the hell? like got off pad everyone's like cussing at us but that tournament was a disaster or not a disaster we got like fifth in it we got an eight pounder and a 12 incher but yeah, yeah so that was our first one like we, we we didn't even know how to get around but uh yeah literally just fished all four years of high school really really enjoyed that we went all over georgia and then got to fish the nationals wherever those were and then went to college at Ole miss i didn't I fished at home mostly ninth and 10th grade. I had this false idea going there that there was a big fishing team, but at those SEC schools, the fishing teams, it seems like they kind of go, unless it's like in Auburn, they kind of go in like generations. Like you'll have guys, you know, like two classes of guys where there's like 15 guys who are like really into it on the team. And when I got there, there was literally no one. So I was like, I didn't really want to fish with someone who wasn't all in. So I just kind of went home and fished and did my own thing. And then, Fished college junior year with my buddy Jacob. We had a really good year. And then senior year, he wasn't there anymore. And then I just fished one of them to get to the Nationals thing. And then fished a bunch of BFLs and stuff. And then graduated college. Actually worked at Pure Fishing for a year. Used my degree a little bit. And then I just, uh, I couldn't do the laptop for eight hours a day. It wasn't for me. So I've been guiding for coming on two years now. And nice. that's kind of where I'm kind of where I've got to this point. What was your role at pure fishing? If you don't mind me asking, I was in a digital marketing. I was a consultant for him for a year. So like i worked every day, but it was like, or not a consultant, but a, um, contract, a contract employee. Yeah. So I just, you know, I helped with all like their, um, God, it's been so long. Um, <laughs> I can't even remember the terms anymore. Oh, you're good. But we did, dude. It was a total hodgepodge of stuff my manager would throw at me, and it was anything from doing Dropbox to uh, analytics reports on pros and just all kinds of stuff. And it just it wasn't for me. So I just great people, but uh, yeah. it just I I'd always been wanting to guide, and I wanted to do it while I was still young. So I went ahead and started doing that, and I got lucky. I, I started it right after a string of like really good local tournaments, so it kind of took off right away, and I. I do that full time when I'm not on the road. So I, I just got done with a trip like 30 minutes ago. I just got home. So now how is yeah. guiding going for you? Really good. Yeah. It's I'm lucky to, I live on probably one of the best lakes in the South. They're not on it. It's 40 minutes from now. So I just drive up there every day. <laughs> close but, enough. Yeah. Close enough, but it's good. I, I pretty much guide five days a week. I don't guide on weekends because I'm always at a tournament. So I usually fish a tournament Saturday or Sunday or both. And then I'll guide at least three, four or five days a week from now till I hit the road for the opens. 
I'm pretty much fully booked. So it's it's been awesome. Oh man, yeah, man. That's that's the. Yeah. I mean, it's nice when you find it's a lot, but I love it. Yeah. Right, and at least you figured out early rather than later that you're like, hey, this just you know respectfully, this isn't for me, you know, and, and then yeah, yeah, and like it wasn't just, was. yeah, and then you know your buddies and your parents, like half of them are like, what the hell are you doing? And you got to somehow like justify you just throwing your degree away. And but I'm really happy I did because it's it's been an awesome two years. I'm really enjoying it. I love it. I love life on the road. Heck yeah, man! I feel I feel like that jump. It, is a hard conversation to have for a lot of people because like, I feel like in your mind, you're like, I know I can make this jump. I can make this work. And I have like either determination, motivation or whatever, you know, worst case scenario, I have the degree. I can always go back to it, but like, it's a hard conversation for especially some older generation folk to like for them to make the jump and bet on yourself and be an entrepreneur is like a totally out of textbook thing. do. And it's like it's uh, if it's not by the book and you're not getting a set salary and all that, it's a lot of people don't get it. But that's you don't every, have a four hundred k or a pension. What yeah, are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, everyone's just wired different, you know. Like some people like a nine to five desk job and they like the routine and good for them. And some people like me or I'm assuming a little bit y'all in the same way. It's just not for them. So. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you just need to go with your gut and what feels right for you. And my gut did not want to be there or not there, but just at a laptop every day yeah. for the rest of yeah. my life. So yeah. I was yeah, a couple of years ago. I feel your pain of sitting in a cubicle and being on a computer yeah. for eight hours a day. So. Yeah. Yeah. You were not yeah. on a and computer. No disrespect to you were texting me. I was texting you, but still, I was on a computer <laughs> eight hours a day at a bank. Yeah. And so. Yeah. That's cool, man. Uh, figured out where you want to be. Um, it, it's pretty funny you, you bring that up. So, like, poking some fun at him because my grandpa, believe it or not, listens to every one of our podcasts. It's actually pretty cool. But uh, <laughs> him and I have a cool relationship. We make fun of each other all the time. The look on his face when I told him I wanted to make the podcast like a part of my, you know, living and business. The look that he gave me was like, "Are you nuts? Podcasts." Uh, dude, it's it's cool to see the, the <laughs> digital shift of the outdoor industry in general and just the different things people are doing to make a living yeah. doing what they love, whether it's hunting, fishing, yeah. whatever. Uh, it's oh, and it's cool. like, unless you just have a killer job nowadays, it's like, it seems like the nine to five thing is just kind of like not what it used to be. You know what I mean? Like yeah. with how expensive stuff is now, it's like regular salaries, like a 60, 70 K job just doesn't hit like it used to. So oh. people are just turning to multiple revenue streams and all kinds. So it's like, now you just got to do your own thing and like pretty much figure it out. It feels like, so. It, it seems like the entrepreneurial route of things is the only way to somewhat get ahead these days, which is 100%. contrary to basically pre COVID. I mean, yeah. now I'm not going to say like, being an entrepreneur before then wasn't but uh yeah like to your point though like there was jobs that were paying a lot better it seemed like pre-covid and now it's like you have a job that pays 60k and it's like you're barely getting by nowadays even though that's yeah. like supposed to be above the the average income uh but it's, yeah i mean the the nice part is though i mean it's a scarier idea and i know i'm preaching to the choir with two fishing guides right here but like when you bet on yourself and you go full time with it, the your income is there's no ceiling on that. Where if you got a full nine to five, there is a ceiling. There's a hard stop for how much you can make that year. Yeah, and the biggest where, where do you guide, Andy? 
Lake Erie and Buffalo. Oh, man, I bet that's fun. It is, except for weather ruins like half of your trips every year. Yeah, that does suck. I mean, because um, you legitimately, it's not safe. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I have my captain's license so I can go on the Great Lakes. And then I have my New York State license so I can do all the smaller lakes in the area if a client wants to go, like, chase a mixed bag. And then I do steelhead from like mid October through March, which is Oh, so you I just fish. It. I got I just you. fish, That's man. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> Three hundred and awesome. forty days a year roughly I try to be on the water. Usually it rounds out to be about two hundred and fifty the last couple of years. So yeah. it's not bad. Yeah. No That's a nice thing too with yeah, with the tournament thing, it's like I can be on the road for a month and be home for four days and I can go guide three of those prep one day and leave. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you can literally make your own schedule and it's just, it's perfect if you want a tournament fish because you sure as hell can't come home for a month and clock into a nine to five for three days and leave again. So yeah, I I think that's the best part. I, uh, last year I, for bass, I guided, well, this past summer I did April, May, well, May, June, July, basically. And then I took, almost all of August and like half of September off and hung out with the nice. family because I have a seven month old along with a four yeah. and a half year old. So yeah. I took some time off and then I went real heavy and I've basically been fishing almost every day since like September 15th. I've been on the water. Yeah. So yeah, that's the thing. You, if you're getting like a little burnout or just want to break, you can just take a break. And yeah. you ever, you ever get into any of the doubles over the summer when you have the long days? Uh, no, I um I cap just sing one day, like one per one trip per yeah. day because I want to get home and see my family. Then the podcast, yeah, it's a lot. So, I mean, I've yeah. thought about it, but it's I think I've done one double and it was like the worst decision of my life <laughs> because fair I was on, on the water at four a.m. to get the boat in to get out at five and then get the next client in the boat at like two to dark. I'm yeah. like never again. Like, <laughs> yeah, I started doing it later this summer and I just liked it because I could guide for three days and knock out six trips. And like yeah. there was a good morning and evening bite. So it didn't really yeah. matter. And for me, it's like an hour drive. So I was like, I might as well do it while I'm up here. But you can't really do it in the winter since it gets dark so early. But I was just curious. Yeah. No, that's smart business, though, dude. Like <laughs> thinking about it. Yeah. You're saving all the on your time. Costs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, shoot at that rate, you might as well just sleep in your truck at the ramp for the for the three days and just yeah. screw it. <laughs> I've done that a few times at tournaments, and I usually I don't like it. <laughs> Sleeping in that seat and leaning it back. I don't know. I'd wake wow. up in the middle of the night and I'm sketched out and I can't do that anymore. Not at the boat ramp. Yeah, the the whole sleeping in the driver's seat, I've done that. Um, and that sucks. I hate that. The but if you get the situation right. Like whether it's in your truck bed or in the in the in the back if you got a truck cap type of deal, like that can actually yeah. be legit if you take oh, the time. Oh, for to sure. I didn't have that. Yeah, and I got a pretty short yeah. bed, so I don't think it would work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have to like sideways. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to like maybe if I laid like diagonal in the truck bed, but I don't know. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned earlier, you know, you're going after the all nine opens this year. You're guiding. Uh, you've been guiding for a while now. Um, in regards to this whole talk about professional fishing, pro angler, like, have you felt the heat on from like from your side of things of like ramping up social media, starting YouTube? Have you have you been on oh, that yeah. that end of it where yeah. you're, you're told what you need to be yeah. doing? Yeah, well, that's that? 
yeah, because like literally the last, well, uh, like pretty much the whole time I fished, I haven't cared too much about social media. But then like the last two or three years, I was like, I'm just going to put every ounce of effort I have into the tournaments and try to get us because that's what I care about at the end of the day. I think that's what most guys care about. But like the fishermen, not obviously not the people watching, yeah. but I was like, I'm just going to put all my effort into that and it paid off. But now I am finally starting to realize that I need to pick my game up. So I haven't like, I have a little bit of YouTube, very little. I need to get better at that. But the Instagram side of things I did get better at in the last year or two. And then I actually just got done today before my client came out. I went out and I recorded the Garmin live scope and I had a chest mount on and I'm, I, I got some really sweet shots. I'm going to make into some reels. So I'm trying to get better at it, but it's definitely not uh, what I want to be doing, but I understand it's necessary. So definitely have felt the heat from some of that, but you know, I, before uh, next year will be good, but before, before next year, I really didn't have any sponsor money at all, but I didn't really care because I was just funding it with doing good in tournaments, hopefully, and then guiding. So I just, I just decided to, put every ounce of effort I had into that. And I'm honestly really happy I did because I think if my head was somewhere else the last two years, I don't, I don't think it would have gone the same, but I might, yeah. I might hire a guy next year to help me do some of it. Cause my thing is like with, if you want to do good in like some of these tournaments, it's like, you can't go home and edit for two or three or four hours. You just can't like, I I'm thinking yeah. of some of the nights, we i'd be in bed by midnight fixing you know battery chargers go out you i remember we blew a fuse in the house twice at table rock you know you blow a tie there's all sorts of crap you have to focus on outside of filming and everything else so for me it'd be really hard to do like really good tournament youtube production unless i had somebody helping me out just because or if you edited it you know a month or two after the tournament but then i feel like it loses some of its validity but i'm starting to figure it out i'm I'm gonna try hard now to grow instagram and focus on like reels possibly tiktok or something but it's definitely not my favorite thing but i i can get behind it i actually got pretty fired up when i recorded the live skip today and i got to go back and watch it and you can see him get like yanked off the bottom and stuff it's pretty cool so i'm excited yeah, I mean, to, excited to upload that stuff but yeah dude like posting or not like just the content itself like dude there, there's times where like I get up and I'm up at like five, five thirty with my morning coffee and I'll come down, I'll do some editing for YouTube, but I'll sit there and like go back to some of the videos I haven't posted yet and just review yeah. like old footage, tournament footage, things like that. It's just cool. That's like a study tool, but uh, nonetheless, yeah. like I, I, I find the take, take the talking to a camera stuff out of it, but just like the, the, the recording of content part really fun. I don't know. I don't, maybe yeah. I'm biased in that, but being, being a, uh, uh, no, when I did it today, I found it fun, but it's just, my problem is like, I'll have every idea in the book of stuff to do. And I just, then I go, I get on the lake and I'm like, ah, I'll do it another time. Yeah. And it just, it's just a sure. perpetual cycle of doing it every single time. So this time I literally like cleared all my SD cards, charged the battery, like brought the chest mount, like downloaded the Garmin app. I was like, I'm doing it whether I want to or not. And once I did it, I was like, actually got excited about like, you know, like you said, uploading it and just like, it was cool, but yeah, gotta, gotta get better at that. Like I travel with 
uh, I traveled with Christian for quite a few tournaments, Greco, and he he'll edit like during the tournament somehow. And like, but then again, all he throws is like a jig, so he's not in his boat after <laughs> practice or anything. So I'm I'm out there tinkering for like three hours, and like I'm I'm inside, and they've all had dinner and like showered, and I haven't done anything. So for me, yeah, it's he's, just, that's awesome. You know, I love Christian's content, and he's one that uh, I would love to get on the show. And it's like you nailed it, like. He's going to rig up a punch rig or two and a, a prop bait. Yeah. And if, that's about it. That's all he's got. Yeah, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't have to think of it. I've got to rig like eight spinning rod leaders and like reline like four bait. And you know how to, if before a tournament, that can literally take three to four time. hours because you've got to get everything perfect. On, this, on the spinning rod braid to fluoro, are you an FG knot guy or an Alberto knot guy? I've never tied an FG. I know it's probably a better knot, but I do the Alberto. It's quick, easy. I can do it in 10 seconds. I'm the same way. I've, yeah. I tried the FG knot once and I'm like, forget this. Like it's, well, once I, yeah, once I saw, brain. <laughs> yeah, one, once I saw guys like using their toes and stuff to tie it, I was like, yeah, that's a little too much. <laughs> you so, know? Yeah, I don't have issues with the Alberto. It might yeah. sound louder when I cast, but that's about it. Funny, I yeah. and even that, if you yeah if you tie it right and you use light braid and light floral i mean it's a pretty it's a pretty small knot so it's been good to me i was, yeah. I used, I was a double uni guy for a while right like that one's I loud learned, yeah. before i learned the alberto knot and i'm like tying steelhead leaders like mono to mono like read and yeah. i'm just using the alberto all the time it's the easiest knot it takes six seconds to tie at most exactly do you so. do you go do you go down and up or do you yeah. just go down up? Okay, I, I didn't even know there's up. a bunch of guys who tie them. They just go down and then go back through. I didn't even know that was a thing. I've always yeah. gone down and up, so I didn't know. Yeah, I feel like going just down and back through the loop, there'd be no strength. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. There's some people that have never tied these knots before that are like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for real but yeah. no there were there was a few times where i wish i wish i'd learned it because i was like maybe on a castle further a couple times but it works for me so yeah until i have a good reason to stop yeah i have no issues with that not except for when i go like three days in a row and i don't feel like retying my floral carbon leader then it separates yeah, it. at the knot but yeah I mean, like oh that's probably anything yeah i'll learn my lesson today and then in a week i'll do it again so <laughs> yeah for sure so growing up in in georgia and spending most of your time there guiding there now like what what would you classify yourself as like if somebody came to you and said you know you know jason christie's a shallow guy he's a jig guy you know and yeah you know, certain guys an offshore guy like, what would you classify yourself as well, it's, it's hard to say, right? Because especially with live scope, like even if you really love to fish shallow before it, like, okay. So like high school, I'm trying to think back to most of our top fives and stuff. And I think most of them were shallow. College, me and my buddy Jacob, we actually almost won team of the year and he had to transfer schools. So I had to finish it out by myself. I think the first one was at Toledo. I mean, we caught them all on a wobblehead up in like less than 10 foot. And then Smith Lake, we caught them in like 40 foot in ditches and then went to Cumberland and caught them throwing a jig on bluff walls, you know, just stair stepping it down. And then now, with you know, after college and using live scope, I mean, 
now everything's so much more offshore related. So like I'd say now probably more offshore, but I love fishing shallow. But what I always tell people is like, at the end of the day, I'm going to try to do whatever I have to do to win a tournament. And nowadays that's usually offshore. So I, I almost, unless I can't, I'm usually off, off the bank. I really, I really like fishing brush and like high percentage spots like isolated stumps little hard spots stuff like that these like pretty much everywhere i went this year for the toyotas like i would just side scan for five days straight and find as many high percentage places as i could and then run them all the first day of the tournament and then realize which one sucked have it a little more narrowed down by the second day and then if you make the third day you've got it really dialed in so if you look at most of those Toyotas, usually my weight would go up every day because I don't I don't usually like fish too much in practice. So I don't really know exactly what I found, because if you fish too much, you don't get to you literally craft maybe half the time because I don't care who you are. Once you put that trolling motor down, you start seeing stuff like it's hard not to fish for a minute. So usually day one, I would just run everything and then get it more filtered down throughout the tournament. But as of now, I would definitely say more offshore. That's what that's what my strength is right now but i really like fishing shallow like in high school we threw a chatterbait and a frog and a cinco and i kind of miss it honestly but the last two years it's been mostly offshore simpler times yeah seriously it, it definitely seems like in the category of like where guys classify themselves where i'm a shallow guy i'm a grass guy uh i'm an yeah. offshore guy now it's you have to add live scope to that category. He's a live scope guy. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the funny thing is with scope too, it's like you're a lot of it. You're doing the same stuff you were doing, just ten times more efficiently. Yeah. So it's like now you in, when you would catch two fish out of a ledge school or a brush pile before, you can sit there and milk it for all it's worth and see what's going on. So, I mean, I still love fishing shallow. Like even Okeechobee when we went down there for the Toyota, I had a few offshore places I was catching them there, but then. You know, you, I remember the second day, I think I had a few offshore fish and then I pulled up to a mat and punched up a six pounder and caught another six on a chatterbait. So it's like, I think being versatile is the name of the game now. I don't think being a straight live scoper or whatever is really going to work in the long run. And I don't think fishing the bank the whole time is going to work in the long run. You just kind of got to keep up with trends and see where fish get pressured. Just not be stubborn. Yeah become a hybrid as much as yeah. you can. Honestly. Something I'm I'm curious about cuz especially at your at your level, um your level and uh, you know BPT elite all, all up the board where there's a lot of talent and a lot of people that are willing to put in the time and the work. Uh like you're talking about how, you know, you have 5 days of practice and you won't fish much at all, you'll just drive. Uh, yeah, literally like, like 30 hours on the engine. Yeah. So, and I feel like there's several other anglers that will do the same thing. And, and I'm sure you see it, you know, guys that are, are sitting at the, you know, the driver's seat most of the time during practice. When yeah. you're, when you're doing that and you can see that other guys are running some of the similar things that you're running, how do you try to make a determination of where you might start or how you might differentiate mm. yourself when, say, a field of 150 anglers and there might be half of them that are that know you need to yeah. fish offshore. So you might be competing with 75 of the guys that are doing the same NASCAR lap, <laughs> graphing the same yeah. stuff. No, on the map. Fair point. Yeah. So that depends what kind of offshore fishing it is. Right. So like I get a good example would be 
I had two big tournaments on Lake Eufaula in Alabama this year. One of them was in May, and I caught, I think, every fish I weighed out of brush. And there, that's probably the only lake I've seen in my life that has more brush than Lanier. And then we had another one in early October, and I caught every fish off of, like, big ledge schools, like anywhere from 10 to 100 fish, like, you know, like TVA kind of stuff. And there, like, I had – in literally four or five days of graphing, I found six or seven schools. Like they were not easy to find. So there where you're going to start's a big deal. Cause it's like, you only have six or seven places, but in a brush tournament, whether it's Eufaula or Lanier or Hartwell, it literally does not matter. Like, obviously you've got some that are better than the others. And like, what I'll do is on my, I have two Lawrence's for, I have those just for waypoint management because you can make a waypoint, change the name, change the symbol in 10 seconds. I'll have like a symbol for like what I think is like an A plus spot. And then I'll have a symbol for what's like, you know, maybe something decent. Yeah. And then I have a symbol for like, yeah, there might've been some here, but like whatever. And usually I'll run through all the stuff that I think's good to start. But yeah, if it's like a brush tournament, I usually just pick somewhere and then Mary go around the whole lake. And then you kind of, once you do one loop, you kind of get a feel for it. But then if you have something where it's like a school of fish on a hard spot or 50 fish on a ledge, then yeah, it's a big deal. Cause if you pull up to one of them and it sucks and then your next really good one, there's a boat on, unless you want to pull up on them, like you might kind of be stuck in the dark. And then like at Eufaula, I had two schools way, way up the lake by the ramp. And then the rest of them were a 15 minute run down to the dam. So you start on one up there and they're not on it and then you can't get on the other one then it's like you got to shoot down to the dam and there might already be people there so there's not always a perfect answer to it but when i'm doing that deal i was referring to earlier which is just fishing as many high percentage places as you can in a day i usually don't stress about it i'll just because if you think too hard about it and you're like ah this one brush pile is probably the best i can't tell you how many i usually don't even catch one at my first stop because you're just getting like the jitters out of the way and stuff and yeah. Yeah. Fig, you know, you're probably picking a backlash out or something. So, but it, it really, I don't think where you start is really that big of a deal. Yeah. And to your point, like those ledge lakes, like when it's fishing, you know, there's only four or five schools type of deal. That's a, that's a game called the boat draw. That's not up to be yeah. anymore. For um, real. Yeah. And, and it's also, well, I'll pay attention to like if I'm running up and down the lake and I see multiple boats hit a place then I'll kind of ignore it. Like I might still check it if I run by it, but like if I know something's getting a bunch of pressure and I have enough stuff to where it doesn't matter, then I'll probably ignore that just because those fish are going to be really hard to catch. And I'd rather hit the catch the ones that are dumb and haven't seen a lure all day. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Does, does that still exist in the, in the South? Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. Fair, <laughs> but like somewhere, somewhere like you follow, like in May fishing brush, there's like, five, 10 mile long flats and the brush can be anywhere from where the flat drops off in the river channel all the way up to the bank, literally. So they're really, really easy to hide there. So you can actually find quite a bit of stuff to yourself. But again, that requires, like if I went out on Ufala and graft for four or five days straight side scanning, there'd probably still be water I hadn't looked at after those five days. So it's, you can, I, I feel like you can still outwork people offshore. For sure. Yeah, especially yeah. a lake that big. Uh, yeah. When it comes to that brush deal, um, do you find that when, like, when that's on, does it become a 
region thing where just a, a portion one portion of the lake just seems to have better class fish on brush or is it just like a is it just a numbers game where whoever hits more is going to have more opportunity yeah so it can be a region thing when i'll touch on that more in a second and then the second part of the question it's it is i think a lot of it is being more efficient than everyone else but at the same time figuring out how to catch them on that day there's usually one or two things that are better than everything else you know what i'm saying like whether it's a jig a jerk bait drop shot hair jig. i mean you could go down the list but like dialing in exactly what they want and figuring it out quick that way you run with it the rest of the day that's how you can really like catch them but and it doesn't always work out that way but then like that you follow event in may almost everybody literally in the top 25 that last day was up the lake and it was like me and I remember I saw Michael Smith down there. He's one of the big locals. We were down at the dam, but the first two days there was a bunch of boats down there, but I guess nobody caught them down there. And we somehow made the cut in the worst part of the lake. But I remember the second day I took off and stopped on like the only place I wanted to hit, like kind of upper mid lake. And I didn't see a single boat drive down. So like there, there was clearly a hot area of the lake. It wasn't where I was fishing, but so yeah, to answer your question, yeah, there it, it can go both ways, but there's a lot of factors that go into that. You know what I mean? Like there's not a clear cut answer to it. It's sometimes it's a bait deal. Sometimes it's a depth of the brush deal. Sometimes it's a part of the lake. It's just, that's all stuff you got to figure out when you're there. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, do you find that you're factoring some shallow stuff into your game when it comes to tournaments or if it, if the offshore deals happen and you're just going to live if, and die by it? Yeah, if there's like a legit shallow bite or like you're somewhere like Okeechobee or Harris Chain where like there's just a bunch of shallow fish naturally, then yeah. But if there's a like legit offshore bite, that's I usually put all my eggs in that basket because if if you don't, then it just scatters me out when you start running between the bank and off the bank. And then you might miss like a bite window offshore when you go to the bank for an hour or you may have thought it sucked, but you were just on the bad part of your rotation. So I would, I definitely prefer to commit to something. So if I'm somewhere I can fish offshore nowadays, I, I stick with it for sure. Now, obviously this could change per lake, but you're going to a lake where you know it's going to be an offshore deal. What's the first three things you're going to, you're going to rig up, try and get bit. Hmm. That would depend on the lake too, but um all about favorites. Favorites that you got for when there's an offshore bite. Just universal. Uh a jerk bait, a drop shot. Are you a robo worm guy? About this. Yeah, for sure. The robo worm's good. That one's hard to beat. Yeah, I, I, I threw a jerk bait a lot this year. I love throwing a jerk bait. But a jerk bait, a drop shot rig, a flutter spoon. That's a good one. If you want to get a big bite, like a, like a Kytec style swim bait, something like that. There's so many good options. It just depends if they're on the bottom, like a little football jig. I throw that a lot. It, it would, it would just depend how they're set up. But like, if I had to pick like two, like you're just going to go after bites, you know? So I'd probably take a drop shot and then a jerk if they're suspended. So I, I have a question for you real fast. Is there a yeah. bait that forward facing sonar revolutionized more than a jerk bait because it seems like yeah, the like, rig. 
Yeah, oh, that's fair. I always forget about the Dubinky rig. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, yeah, I know that that thing literally went from like a March April lure to a year round lure. Yeah, which is because and it's crazy how good they bite it. Like you'll throw it on, you can literally throw it on fish that will not touch anything else, and they'll choke that thing. It's just, we just didn't know before because yeah. yeah. we it feels kind of awkward. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's awkward throwing a jerk bait in stained water in the middle of the lake when you can't see what's going on. Yeah, that's the dang fact. Uh, and people are like, oh, you can only throw it when it's sunny and windy. Where now it's like, it'll be overcast and yeah. glass. Dead calm. And you're still catching yeah. change of color. It's, are, are you a guy yeah. that has like five different jerk bait rods out with different jerk baits, or are you just a no. one and one and done? That's Yeah, that trips my buddies out too with how much I throw it. I just have one rod. It's beat the crap, but it's just the one I use. If I <laughs> got to change colors, or do you have like different colors based on the condition? I, I have like one rod, one jerk bait, and two colors. I love that simplified. I just simple like that's one. That's another thing I always tell like clients or whatever. Like they'll ask about color and like whether it's on a plastic or a hard bait. Like color, in my opinion, and I know people would disagree with this, but is like one of the least important things. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you put it in front of one white when it comes to a jerk bait, yeah, in my opinion. Exactly. Like you need you need in a hard bait, you need a clear one, a white one, and a chrome one. And that's that's about it. And it's like I feel like if you're worried about like little tints and colors and flakes and stuff, I just feel like you you're kind of worrying about the wrong thing, you know. You're yeah. probably just on fish that don't want to eat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or you're looking at them out of forward and they ain't bass. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's yeah that's another big thing but but no color i keep that super simple but i i usually think more big picture you know what i mean like are they on something slow do they want a big bait you know stuff like that versus little tiny modifications yeah, yeah. it's what's uh what's your go-to if you if you're willing to say jerk bait wise mega bass 110 plus one junior Yes. That's, that's my favorite one. one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that one is, is factored in. I, 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 for whatever reason, I'll have two jerk bait rods out uh, in the past year, and one has been a stunner, and the other one's been a 110 yep. plus junior. I just yes. started messing with with the stunner, and it's it's legit. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. I, that's one thing. That's probably one thing I'm bad about is not when I find something I like, I kind of just stick to it. And I've been trying to be better about like, Especially when I just go fun fish now, like I'll just try new stuff, go to new places because it's like you might as well. But yeah, that that stun is legit, and yeah, I need to tinker a little more on some different different hard baits and whatnot. But I kind of find something I like, just roll with it. Now you can tell me to pound salt here, but uh, for the plus one junior, what do you change the hooks to to keep it balanced? Because those hooks are yeah. so thin. Number so, number six or number eight Gamagatsu, the bronze round bends. Got it. Yeah. I don't maybe it is. Well, with the junior, it's got those regular barbed hooks. So yeah. I don't know if those are like more normal, but i if I hold it up next to that number eight Gamagatsu, it looks almost identical and it usually doesn't sink or float. So perfect. Seems right to me. But that's that's the one I throw. The the stock hooks are really good. They just bend out after like two fish. If you're lucky, if if they last fish, (laughs) I found this past year throwing that size, the size six Ichikawa's has been. Oh, on the regular one time? No, on the junior. 
Wait, who who makes that hook? Ichikawa. Is that the one yeah. Rick Plun designed, or is that the Okichara, or is that something else? The yeah, Rick Plun has like a crankbait with with yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah, I've tried the those yeah. like they're they're nasty. Yeah, they're they're legit. I've messed around with those for a little bit, but I throw Gamagatsu hooks a lot. I like that, those. Uh, they've, they've got a really sharp hook point. The only problem with them is they roll over. So it's like, in my opinion, it's the sharpest hook, but you got to change them a lot. So like, if I'm cranking or throwing a jerk bait, like I'll legit change hooks two or three times, like each day, just because I feel like they dole up quick. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll second that from a Gamagatsu standpoint, where I know some people hate ewg hooks um but there's a, a ringed ewg that i love from gamagatsu and i'm starting to actually make my own now just to solve yeah. this but uh they had one that was really good but the the ringed ewg anyways but it would be like two fish and that hook point is like captain hook <laughs> it's yeah. like it's done for there's no saving yeah. it there's no taking a file to it it's done <laughs> i haven't uh, I've, been, I've been tried the ringed hooks but i want to i want to try the braid split rings too that's on my list of things to try but oh like the whole you know braided split yeah. bait thing yeah just a way to lose less fish or something because is that not the deal with the ringed hook or what is that i know some people do it um i'm i have too fat of thumbs to do something like that so i Fair. can't tie those and it's, it scares me Fair. uh but I, I know some people that do it and they they find it really helps because like yeah they don't get leverage on it Right. I mean, it's similar to like putting two split rings on the back of a walking bait or something like that, except now you have literally have no range. You have complete range of motion. If you use the braid, like they can twist it all I want. Yeah. I see it working. For sure. I just don't have the finesse right. to tie something like that. <laughs> no, 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 I don't blame you. I, I lost some big ones this year due to bending hooks out and it sucks. But on the flip side of that, you'd probably lose a bunch too if you went with a thicker gauge and that light rod and everything because you wouldn't penetrate it. So it's kind of a yeah. double-edged sword, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it's similar to me, like the we were talking earlier about the FG knot where I used to use it a while ago and majority of the time it would work, but for whatever reason, there's times where I would test the knot and you know, it wouldn't budge to be fine. And then I'd be fighting the first fish of the day and the knot would break loose. Where yeah, it's like so wait, I felt like I tested it. Why is it working there? But now right. I'm fighting fish, it's done. You might so that's have put too I'm much gonna... initial tension on it after you finish tying the knot. Sometimes the fluorocarbon it gets real finicky if you put too much pressure on it, it'll actually cinch underneath the knot, and that's why it's breaking. And that's why I went back to Alberta. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, I guess we're all on the same page there. Yeah. Yeah, I think we are. I think we're all dialed on that. Alberto for the win. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Heck yeah. Also, dude, I mean, you, you mentioned your family's back in uh, in Denmark. Have you gotten any of them hooked on bass when if when they come to visit yeah. or anything like that? My one cousin over there I'm really close with, he's come over and fished with me a few times, but they don't even understand it. Like I've, I've tried to explain, you know, some of them when I go over there and they kind of get it now, but they don't even – they don't even know what a bass is, let alone a bass tournament, let alone electronics or a trolling. It's like, where do you even start? You know what I mean? So, what, what is the big fish of Denmark? Is it like a Xander? Like, no, it's a uh, they commercial fishing's huge over there, but they uh, sea trout fish a good bit. I think they have. I've I've been fishing over there before. There's this one place I went and I caught a bunch of big yellow perch, but there's 
it's just not too big of a thing over there, I don't think. But Pike, I don't think it's like I don't think they do the carp like England and some of those countries do, but probably hmm. probably sea trout's the biggest thing and then pike and perch. It uh it's cool to kind of see that come across. So like are, do you fly like a Denmark flag or anything like that? Like if you make no. the elites, are they gonna have to fly that Denmark no. flag too? <laughs> I couldn't do the whole no. I mean, it's not that I'm not proud of it, but I don't want it to be some like big deal, you know. Yeah, I bet you though that, that bass will try to squeak in a Denmark flag just to make it look like more countries. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You're just gonna no, see I, it one morning this year when you're going at takeoff. You're just gonna see, oh hey, Denmark flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My buddies left giving me crap for it. I don't know why, but it's yeah, it's whatever. If they want to fly fly a flag, they can do it, but I definitely wouldn't go the whole Carl Jockinson route and just go crazy about it. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, well, yeah, I mean, because you said what? You came over near one, something like that? Yeah, like, I mean, I speak Danish. We speak it here at the house. So, like, whenever I talk to anyone in my family, we speak Danish. But other than that, that's, that's really the only big attachment I have to it. And, yeah, my family lives there. and you know, I see them and whatnot, but everything else, you know, my whole life's been here pretty much. How do you say bass in Danish? If there's a word for it? I don't need, I don't think there's a word for it. Really? What, how do you say fishing? Fiskning. Fiskning? That's it. Yeah. You got it. Dude. One of, one of my absolute bucket list, uh, goals on this show is to get like, Taku or Koya on this show and just get yeah like learn a bunch of different sayings in Japanese that have to do with fishing. Yeah, yeah. That's I don't I can't think of any like specific fishing sayings just because I feel like I'd have to fish with people over there to hear them. But yeah, those yeah. those guys are wild. I, they're they're something else. I like watching them on live. They're super technical. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. We talk about a bunch on this show. Does they're they're super cool to study and. Um, I'm sure you know who Ken Duke is. If you, if you listen around the yeah. industry, he's, uh, you know, one of the, the legends from a media side of things, but his wife is Japanese and, uh, I've been fortunate enough to know Ken for a while. And there, there's times where I just get interested. I'll be watching Tagu for the day and I'll text him like, Hey, how do you say this in Japanese? Just, just to start learning things. Like I, I got a little notes thing on my iPhone that has like little slogans or like, uh, things like sentences. Uh, for bass fishing yeah. but in japanese so when the time does come like if i finally meet like taku or whatever i can i get to actually say it i haven't had the chance to break it out yet <laughs> they might laugh at you though for like the accent that you put on it oh it'll sound horrible but at least it's the effort that <laughs> hey, at least here. you're trying yeah yeah <laughs> that's like the first thing people say when they figure it out they're always like say this in danish say that in danish and i'm like ah all right but yeah, see, I'm trying to i'm trying to earn some brownie points with those guys you know they might show you something yeah you don't show anybody else yeah, it's crazy. Koi is doing all nine opens too, just as is extra he? tournaments. Yeah, I wonder if he's using it as a way of like just furthering more experience, like in location. Probably he, he might struggle. Well, and like most of those guys leave their whole families and everything behind, so like they literally have nothing else to do. So, I mean, I'd do the same thing. Yeah, it was um, Justin Hamner that we had uh, a while ago on the show. He was saying that uh, he pulled up to the ramp one time for practice and Koya is sitting there in his boat deck. Everything's like he said, every time he comes off the water, it is perfection in his boat, like clean. Not everything's put away. 
because uh, that's another side story. He tried to at the way and go up and just when he brought his way in bag, Koya did. He tried to run over and see what he was throwing clean before he got back into yeah. way in. But he said after it was after a practice there or something, he's still in the the parking lot and he's on his computer typing in notes from the day. Uh like and he puts it back in his rod lock or whatever. I'm like, that dude is on a whole other level, man. Yeah. I mean that's yeah, I'd like to pick the guy's brain like that for a minute, but I've, I've, I've adopted that too. I always put my rods away when I pull up to weigh in now, but there'll still be a bomb of a thousand baits in the bottom of the boat. But the rods always get put away because people do like snooping around. You don't do anything to like fake people out, just put like decoys out there just to throw them off a little bit? Nah, nah. I remember, I, I remember one tournament this year, I was fishing by myself and I kind of knew I had it won. I pulled up the way and it was just a local one and I had like a buzz bait on. I hadn't caught any on and I just left it on the deck just for the hell of it. But no, usually not. <laughs> like, man, he caught him on a buzz bait next week. You go out and everyone's throwing a buzz bait. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah so, and so I'm on the kayak side of things and it's pretty damn hard to, to hide, hide anything on that when you're yeah, at a, a ramp with other people. Besides, once you're going to tie everything on, once you get to your spot, but. I've always thought about it. I'm like, maybe I'll rig up a couple of rods and bring them. I don't need them and just like throw people off. But at the same point in time, how my brain works is like, I'll throw something stupid on there. People will see it, put it on, and then they'll win the dang tournament off something that I thought was stupid. <laughs> and I'm the idiot. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, I don't even know about doing it. But well, like, I if I was one of those guys that had like 15 rods out, then it wouldn't matter because it's like there's 15 rods. But I, in an ideal world, I usually only like to have three or four out. So. Do you try to like dwindle it down? Like even when you don't know what you're going to throw, you just try to at least keep three or four on the deck to not, you know, complicate things. Yeah. Well, like if I show up somewhere, especially new, I'll have a ton of rods rigged and practice, obviously, just to figure out how to get bit or catch them. But after I figure out how to get some bites or just get a good feel for it, then I'll I'll usually narrow it down. But if I go somewhere I'm comfortable with, I usually, I usually kind of know what I'm going to throw. But yeah, by the tournament, I like to have it narrowed down. It's not always the case, but I like to. Yeah, at least uh, be three quarters of the way there. And uh, one of the things I still it rings with me today that I've talked about in the show a decent amount was, um, you know, through my work I get the privilege of like you know interviewing some guys here and there, like after after tournaments, uh, you know, whether it's pure fishing guys or Humber Minkota guys, and it was after Seth Fighter won AOI. And he was telling me on the phone, he's like, I never want to fully figure it out in practice because I want I want to be like close to there, but I want to figure it out like day 100%. one. I, yeah, I feel the exact same way. It's like that feeling where it clicks. Like you're it's like the night before yeah. you're like unsure about it. You have an idea, but then like things like when you actually can fish fish, you know, day one of the tournament yeah. and things click, you're like, Oh hell yeah. Like let's go. Yeah, because you like you just want just enough pieces to be able to go fish and know you're around some, but you don't like anytime I've gone, not anytime, but like a lot of times I've gone into a tournament being like, I'm dialed after practice. It usually doesn't pan out that way. So Turns I try to, yeah. And that goes back to the offshore thing too. Like just stack as many good places as you can and figure it out in the tournament. You know what I mean? Cause it's a lot harder to go graph for four hours in the tournament than it is to figure out how to catch them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a dang fact. Landy, you got anything left for him here before we hit him with the last question? No, I think this conversation was great, and I want to say thanks for coming on and good luck in the opens. 
I appreciate it. Yeah, it's going to be, I'm sure it'll be grueling, but I'm excited. Everything I've done has been with MLF up till now. So I'm excited just to try something new, try to make the elites. It's going to be a, uh, I get at least comment from like a fan perspective. It's going to be a, a cool year to be on the outside looking in, just seeing new personalities, new dynamics of, you know, the professional fishing level of, you know, we got live at open the nine, yeah. 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 It, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty intriguing, man. Um, but yeah, like Andy, Andy said, I'll echo that. And, you know, thanks for, for jumping on with us here. Um, Absolutely. definitely thanks we'll be knocking on your door again for getting you on here. Like, uh, Throughout the open, yeah, I love to. to. I love doing these things. They're fun. Oh, deep, like always a seat. Whenever you want, like you can tell us, hey, I'm coming on tonight's show. Like we don't, you don't even have to like match. <laughs> right. That that goes out to anybody that's been a guest down here. But uh, yeah, our last no, I question. Love it. It's it's easy. I just like talking fishing. So it's a good time. Well, you're you're in the, the right company because that's the only reason we do this because we talk <laughs> a lot and it just happens to be about fishing. So that's why yeah, sir. Um, but man, like, like we started off the, the show with, you know, it's tradition for everybody that's, that's new to the show. It's their first time on the show. We like to wrap up, uh, the episode with, if you could take three different individuals and sit down, have a steak, have a beer with them, pick their brain. They could, they don't have to be fishing. They could be a sports athlete, somebody back in Denmark, whomever it could be alive a thousand years ago. It could be alive today. Uh, it doesn't matter anyone, which three people would you invite? And why? Do a lot of people get stumped on this? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is exactly Just about why, everyone. Why I have the soundboard. Because I want to I wanna go the fishing route, but then I know I'm going to forget someone. I mean, you can. I mean, it's, the fun part about it is that, like, we get messages after the fact. They're like, damn, I should have said so-and-so. Yeah. It kind of makes you think, which is pretty cool. But this is exactly why I got a soundboard. So I can yeah. cue the, the Jeopardy music for a while. Oh, you're no. No, you're, you're good. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, oh, I mean, one that'd be really cool. My my grandpa would always take me fishing and he's been passed away for a while and hasn't seen any of the tournament stuff. So I'd, it'd be really cool to like sit down with him and just show him all this because I think he'd be really intrigued by it. Thank but uh, he'd be one of them for sure. And then I'd have to go on the fishing side of things probably Polinick would be one of them. He's I've been watching him since I was really little and uh, he seems like he thinks a lot about everything he does in fishing and just in the sport in general. So I'd love to sit down with him and just, you know, talk and then, man. I'd argue Polinick, total tangent here, but I'd argue that Polinick is the best angler in, in at, from a bass fishing standpoint, the best angler in the world from a mental standpoint. Yeah, 100% agree. 100% agree. And then, man, lastly, probably Van Dam, just because he's been in the sport for so long, it'd be cool to hear his take on just everything. I mean, the differences and then from now and what his views on the sport are. And I mean, I, I, I get to fish against him here in a couple months, and that's going to be nuts. Like, I'd like to talk to him before he finally retires, but he's he's always been one I've watched. So those would have to be my three for sure. Heck yeah, man. That's a, that's a pretty cool three to have. <laughs> it, yeah. It's cool what this question does. Like, you, you almost start picturing all the people at the at the table. It would be kind of cool to – Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of people I'd like to have dinner with, but you know what I mean. Right. Heck yeah. Uh, 
Well, man, again, thank you so much for taking the time out. And uh, we'll, we are Emil Wagner fans, so we'll be yeah. uh, keeping up with you it. and rooting for in the opens. And uh, we'll be, again, like I said, be knocking on that door to get you back on the show here soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Good luck. Thank you guys for having me. I'd love to yeah. do it again. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. See you guys. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard of a, a bass angler from, obviously, you know, knowing Emil from a while ago. But from Denmark. No. None ring a bell. So we have we have Denmark, Japan, Australia, uh, Italy. I'm trying to think of other ones that might come to mind. Obviously beyond like Canada and Mexico, those are you know yeah. easy ones. I'm trying to think I, if there's any other countries that like to that are being represented right now from like a not in the US, like I believe South Korea is, has like a pretty big growing bass scene. And then South like Africa. a tournament scene in South I think, I, I think so. Dang, I didn't know that. I knew yeah. Korea had bass. I didn't. I didn't know they had like a tournament scene. That's pretty cool though. I didn't even know that uh, that Bass Nation had. I think they said a was it Italy that they have some chapter in overseas. I can't remember the country, so don't quote me on that. But somebody was telling me. I want to say it was um, Brian Brasher at Bass was telling me that there's some. Can't remember who was telling me, but nonetheless, uh, it's cool to see all of it widespread and come full circle. See the different, uh, you know, routes that people take to get where they're at now. And um, oh man, it's just what I love about this show, just hearing the different perspectives. But the dude's a hammer, and it's going to be pretty fun to watch him compete here on the opens after having a, a bunch of success over on the MLF side. And um, I know he's one that uh, is a name that's been thrown a lot, thrown around a lot this past year, and I think for good reason. So it'd be cool to. Uh, to uh to see things come to fruition for him and you know obviously we got high hopes for the opens and we definitely look to get him back on the show coming up here as the uh the opens kick off literally i think in uh what was it two months i'm a dot basically yeah. january right yeah, I january? Started, yeah. that's gonna be interesting yeah because i start in texas right yeah in texas no he's shaking his head no he's like hey you idiot but when the, I don't think they start. You guys start in Florida or not starting Florida this year? There's too many tournaments. You guys, okay. You're shaking his head. Yeah, we're stupid. Just start in Florida. <laughs> I think it's the elite set that starts in Texas or starts uh, South Central. Okay. Thank you for correcting me. On one. <laughs> See, that's why I bring on the pros because we're two yeah. bunch of idiots. <laughs> we have too much to think about here, right? Like, I don't know about that, Andy. We just don't have anything. We don't have the brain power. <laughs> it's the so, thinking that's the problem. There has been a. I was. I was actually googling it. There has been a South Korea angler who has qualified through whatever their qualifying tournament is on the MLF that came over. I think in 2018 and fished like oh. the Force One Cup. So it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I love, that's a Kennedy question. I got to ask him like different countries that have been represented. Could be cool to see some of the wild ones out there, like places that, you know, like don't even have a bass, like Australia. Like it's pretty cool to see all that, which like following along with like Gussie that was going down there doing the Bear Monday tournament. I think he's going again this year or he's, he's there down there right now. now. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's, I don't know if he's home now, but like at least in the last week, he's been posting a bunch of content from, from down there anyway. But super cool to kind of see it all crossover things like that. But, Great show, a lot of fun, and um, I'll remind people that coming up 
uh, on Serious Angler. We have um, make sure you guys are marking your calendars for December twentieth because that's going to be our Christmas special. We'll have uh, some friends of the show come on. We'll have some a good time, some drinks, and uh, you know try to celebrate a little bit here for for the Christmas holiday as well as the New Year coming in. But uh, Andy, you got anything coming up that the people should know about? Anything of that sort? Oh, there will be a Lure Lab this Saturday morning. So be on the lookout for that. I apologize again that I missed last weekend. I'm going to get that recorded tomorrow. So that will be ready to go for Saturday morning. Do they, are you allowed to give them a sneak peek and what it might be? No, it's a surprise. Surprise. Suckers, you're going to have to wait till Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it a surprise because I missed last week. So I can't, I want to want to make you tune in so yeah. heck yeah well yesterday uh we dropped our fifth episode of kayak fishing weekly on the serious angler network and we had on uh arguably i would say the best kayak angler bass wise in the world with uh russ snyders uh and he dropped some some nuggets for us and uh he's one that he's uh he's been around the block and from a fishing standpoint and grew up out in cali and um, he had a great show uh, with the Zaldanes on the uh, the Bilge podcast. Um, so we had him on Kayak Fishing Weekly. Encourage you guys to go check that out, especially if you guys are uh, in the kayak scene. A new show that we have that you can find. Uh, uh, whether you're watching this on YouTube, it's right on this exact channel. But if you're on MP3, everywhere that you are listening to Sears Angler or any of our other shows, it's on Apple, it's on Spotify. Just look up Kayak Fishing Weekly and you'll be ready to rock. But uh, hopefully you guys took advantage of all the uh, Black Friday sales from our show partners last week. Um, it sounded like people were able to get some pretty good savings on some lithium batteries and things of that nature. So that was uh, pretty good to hear. And we have some uh, some more stuff, of course, coming down the pipe. But uh, it's uh, when you guys are here listening to this, it's December 1st, the last month of the year. So that I means in about a month, we have some... Uh, yeah, it's crazy, dude. It means we got some changes oh. coming to the show. So we're, uh, we're pretty excited about them, like I was mentioning last show. Uh, it's good changes and uh we're excited to share them with you but without further ado uh we will see you guys next week on tuesday for another tuesday night live appreciate y'all and we'll see you on the next one well that was an awesome show hope you guys enjoyed it if you can and your app allows it please leave us a rating and review it really helps us get seen more which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.